As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler. I'm joined as always by Lance Airline. Uh, today, one of my favorite days of the year, the draft guide officially released. Hopefully you guys go check it out. It is included in your athletic subscription, so well worth it. Uh, it's basically a, a year of my life wrapped up into 267 pages uh, of a PDF. So, you know, Lance, I think I cut it off at 415 prospects, which is, you know, it's a little different this year because... You know, I know you're you're struggling with the same thing, just trying to figure out who's actually in this draft and who's not. Like once you get past the top 150, you know, the guys that we we know are draft picks and uh, are, are in this class, it gets tough because a lot of those guys are going back to school. So, um, you know, I know for me that was one of the bigger challenges this year. But uh, I, I don't know. What would you think of uh, the beast on release day? Uh, I like it. I like that. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really like that you do is that you go into in depth. Um, so there's the new school way of doing stuff and there's the old school way of doing stuff. And, and you kind of follow the old school methodology, which is more, um, from the actual standard scouting perspective of you, you give basic information, you give advanced information, you give analysis. So, you know, I always thought Nolan Araki did a phenomenal job. And then before him, Joel Bushbaum was kind of the godfather of Pro Football Weekly, even before Mel Kuyper came out. And by the way, I have a lot of respect for Mel. I think Mel does a great job. And one of the nicest guys that you'll run into, like legitimately nothing's ever gotten to his head from a fame. Like Mel's awesome. Um, but I like the fact that that you you treat it like – um, like a scouting report. I mean, and it's and it's laid out like a scouting report might look. And so, you know, mine is not mine is mine is meant for mass consumption, um, digital. You know, this that and the other, and that's fine. Uh, but the layout, I, I like the layout that you have because it does give you, um, it, it does it makes you feel like you've got something in your hands, even though it's digital copies now that you can really sink your teeth into, um, 
on each individual player. And I think people need to understand, you know, I've got to get, I start in, I start basically with the tape. I mean, this year it was a little different because of opt-outs. I was writing guys earlier, Jamar Chase, uh, Rashawn Slater, you know, guys like that, Caleb Farley. So I was getting into them earlier because what they had at Gregory Rousseau, what was on tape was on tape and it wasn't going to change. So, uh, but usually helpful this year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it helped me go faster on higher end prospects, but, the problem is, um, I, you know, I don't start until really, really start digging in a little in October with some of my write-ups, but I need to have this year's tape. I need to have stuff like that. And of course, season started later. So I started November and to get through 500 prospects, it just, there's only, I put as much time as I can on everyone that they, that I need, like that I need to know the player, but because you do it longer, like one of the things I really like about you that I don't have time to get as much of this is you really dig in on the things that NFL teams do. And I want you to talk about your process with getting information about the people, the, the, the fact finding that has to go on because a lot of scouting on the NFL level, people may not realize it's not sexy. It's not breaking down these throws. A lot of it is you are a private investigator whose job it is, is to go out and get information about who this person is to create a, a profile on them, a, a full profile, not just a player profile, but a personality profile. Yeah, that's definitely one of the tougher parts of this because it's it, it's a lot of research um, and it's a lot of talking to people. Um, and this year, even more so with, uh, you know, because scouts, they haven't been able to be on the road. They've been doing these Zoom calls and finding out information late. So a lot of these guys, uh, information that I usually get during the season uh, or even before that over the summer, uh, just info, just talking to scouts. And, that, and that's I usually spend my summers just watching film, getting ready for the upcoming class, uh, going through the 2020 or the previous year's film, um, and then just being on the phone and trading information with uh, you know different scouts and people around the league uh, on these players. Uh, and it's just it's a really interesting uh, way of just kind of trading info, um, and it's really helpful for uh, for me and, and and for the you know the people I talk to just to get a better sense for these guys. And it, it can be tough because sometimes you hear things that are not the most flattering. And when that happens, uh, you know, each person, you know, they'll digest it differently, but I know I have to, you know, check on it and maybe find out with another person or two other people, you know, are you hearing this? Is this what you're, you know, this guy doesn't love football. Okay. Well, that's an issue, but to what degree is it, you know, he doesn't love football, but still, you know, busts his butt every day. Is it like that? Or he doesn't love football and doesn't even care about putting the work in. You know, there's a big difference there. So and I, yeah, and I think your your readers because it's it's such a, a P one as we say in radio type of audience where you've got people who are hardcore. I think that you can afford to say some things like be honest, not say some things, but be right. honest about what you have. Where with me on on the NFL platform, there are going to be more. Um, just average football fans and some people who aren't, you know, immersed in the scouting process who understand, you know, how the sausage is made. And they can take that as, well, you know, the pearls get clutched if I were to put some of the stuff out there that I, you know, that I hear. And then you do have to balance out, look, 
is it immaturity? Am I going to hurt this kid in any way, shape, or form? Um, but some of it matters because I want people, I want to have something out there in case a guy falls. If I think a guy is going to fall, I want to include in there that could have some issues with medicals, could have some issues with character, something like that, so that when they go to the scouting report and they say, why did this guy fall? I thought he was supposed to be great. And they read it, they say, oh, okay, well, Lance said that he already had this issue. Um, how do you balance out putting, you know, the line between what you're going to put out there and what you're not going to put out there. That's, that's the toughest part of this, I think, because, uh, some of the stuff is fact, like, you know, a DUI that's fact that happened, that's public record. That's, that's, I'm going to put that in there. Um, but some of the stuff happens behind closed doors and it's, it is tough to know, you know, what is, you know, okay. Putting out there for public consumption. And then I think you have to ask yourself how, you have to balance how much it does it affect your, uh, you know, your view of the player, and if it does affect your view, then it becomes important that you include it because you have to under, you have to ex- kind of explain why you know this player who's really talented, you have more strengths and weaknesses, but you know he's your twenty fifth best player. You have to try to explain that. In is it because he you know, uh, it, it, but you get into some of these issues that it's just, it's tough, you know, like uh, some of these guys, uh, you know, they, they don't put the work in or, you know, maybe they have trouble digesting concepts and executing and implementing those things. And that's, that's a tough thing to talk about. Cause you don't want to just flat out and say, this guy is not smart. You don't want to flat out say like, this guy can't, uh, retain information, things like that. Like that's, that's, I'm not in the business of, you know, damaging the the future careers of uh, 21-year-old uh, players by putting that kind of stuff out there. So I, 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 I try to be as judicial as possible uh, in terms of what's in there, what's not without, you know, making sure that if I'm putting something in there, it's, it, it's, it's not like I'm sugarcoating it. I don't, I'm, I'm, it doesn't have to be beneficial to the player, but I want to make sure that it's fact or it's very relevant to the player and not just, uh, Oh, one scout told me this and that's automatically going in there. So don't op. I can't operate like that. And I know, I mean, I, I know you're kind of the same, obviously with your reports, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got a, a section for, you know, this is what, what you're hearing from scouts. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the times it's not the most flattering things, but if it's important to the report, then it's probably important to include. Is that fair saying? Yeah. And I've had some that the, the editors have, right have not been comfortable with putting in there just because of you know well where did it come from and how did you you know like um is this especially when it's an opinion about a player that there may be getting behind the scenes i mean i think it's interesting we saw i think it's i think it's great to get into this right now we have ted Wynn coming up who we're going to talk quarterbacks with them you know dan orlovsky from espn he he, he found something out in our space here called the draft space <laughs> that he wasn't ready for he got outside of his lane he, he was a little heat check you know dan does a good job he works hard he hustles and he, he shot a little heat check up there he got something from someone uh, either an NFL scout or a team or someone at the program, whatever the case may be. And he got something on Justin Fields. And, you know, the question came up and he had this in his back pocket and he and he used that information on Pat McAfee's uh, podcast. And what happened was he didn't know the rules of engagement. Like if you're going to say that, if you're going to have that stuff, and that's fine, we hear that stuff. And you have to be careful how you say it, number one. But number two, you want to have enough work done on – enough 
conversations that you have an opportunity to balance the scale a little bit, which he came back with a second video that balanced the scale, but you better have done that work beforehand so that you can balance the scale if you're going to share an opinion. And all he did was share something that he heard from someone. And you and I both know, Dane, we hear stuff like that about players all the time, especially as it pertains to quarterback. There was a tight end that I heard was, you know, not a good learner uh, a couple years ago, and it's been a major issue for him in the NFL. I mean, that's it's something NFL teams talk about. So while these things are discussed behind closed doors very openly, amongst scouts and no matter who the, the the player is no matter their race no matter the all scouts are all in this to win championships and they've got to make the best decisions possible and there there's a great deal of honesty in the public you still have to temper certain things and you have to understand what is worth you know how much juice is worth that squeeze is this juice worth the squeeze and in Mm. Dan Orlovsky's case uh he learned a valuable lesson and when you start going after quarterbacks at major universities you better you better have as much information as possible because that is the hot button issue is going after a quarterback right yeah no question And and this happened to me last year when I put in one of my reports how a player uh failed uh, a drug test and it wasn't public and, and you were accurate and by the way it was accurate and i yeah. checked on a gm with a gm he goes tell tell dane to stand his ground he's right on it <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i had i had uh yeah I, I know i talked to you about it and i talked to other people about it i, I had one of his teammates uh confirm it to me but you know it's just one of those things that it, it's it, it's t- it's a tough thing to do because it's you could say it's relevant but you know, it's something that, that you're going to get pushback on. So it's tough. But, you know, overall, uh, I'm very glad to get this thing out there. I think the only thing uh, longer than this uh, uh, draft guide is the honeydew w- uh, list waiting for me uh, now that I'm back uh, returning to civilization uh, from my wife. So uh, we got th- but we, hey, we got three more weeks uh, until the draft. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be fun to see how this all plays out. So uh another reason i'm excited we have ted win on the podcast today so let's get into that conversation looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Excited to welcome in the Athletics' Ted Wynn. Uh, does an outstanding job breaking down uh, mostly NFL, but he dives into the NFL 
Draft Space 2. You can get uh, his write-ups on The Athletic right now, kind of go a little more in-depth with what he saw on the tape. Make sure you're following him at FB underscore Film Analysis uh, on Twitter. Ted, we're uh, we're in April, a few weeks from the draft. How are you feeling? I'm uh, feeling pretty good. I mean, I I have a hard time going through you know every quarterback, just the quarterbacks, and you guys, you uh, and Lance go through every single position and like over 200 prospects. I don't know how you guys do it, but yeah, I'm feeling good and uh, ready to go. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I know you've done a deep dive on you know most of these quarterbacks, and it's just such a unique quarterback year. Uh, I mean, since you've been really going, you know, doing deep dives into these quarterback prospects, uh, do you remember a quarterback class? Uh, anything remotely close to this? No, I, I think this is one of the stronger quarter pl- quarterback classes I can remember. Just watching, you know, every one of these guys, I kind of have to. You know, the inner, inner voice in my head tells me, like, all these guys can't be, you know, that good at all these things. Like, there's got to be, I'm trying to, like, nitpick and find things wrong. But, yeah, this is a pretty unique quarterback class. And there could be five guys gone in, in the first five picks. Do you think all five are worthy of top ten? We'll say top ten consideration. Do you think that all five quarterbacks going that high, you can understand it? You can you, you can understand where those teams, because you know, there have been in the past where we've seen quarterbacks be overdrafted or... Uh, maybe we didn't agree with it, but if all five of these quarterbacks go in the top eight to ten picks, do you see that as justified? I mean, I, I, I'm prob- I probably have a lower first round grade uh, on Lance and, and Mac Jones, but I mean, it, it's just a quarterback needy league, and those guys are going to get drafted top ten. But you know, I, ideally, I, th- I think those guys would be drafted um, at a lower end of the first round. Right. And all right, well, let's just start at the top. Listeners, they know how Lance and I feel about these quarterbacks. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about them since the fall. So we really wanted to get, you know, smart football minds that have really gone, you know, deep on these players to better understand them. So we want to get your, just your opinion on these guys. Uh, starting at the top, Trevor Lawrence, do you think he's deserving of all the hype that's been thrown his way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this guy has all the size you, you want in quarterback. He's a lot better runner than uh, people uh, think he is. I mean, you just watch that Ohio State run he had in, in last season's playoffs when he was out running NFL players. He can make all the throws, has enormous arm strengths. I mean, he, he'll have one of the strongest arms in the NFL as soon as he's drafted. He could throw a touch. He could. I, th- I think he got better at, thro- at throwing against the blitz this season. And I, I think he has some room to get better, too. I mean, I think he could throw with a little more anticipation, but those things are learnable. So I think just when you look at the total scope of what he's done and just the, all the tools he has, uh, he is one of the, the best prospects, quarterback prospects that I, I've ever seen. You know, one of the things, Ted, that I always look and see where um, I'll go through a, uh, the passing map, I go through all the advanced data um, on prospects to see, you know, what the data tells me. And then I'd go try try and marry it to film just to see if there's anything to uncover. And one of the things I uncovered about uh, Fields and uh, Trevor Lawrence this year was he really had a low, I I think one of the things that, that stood out once I looked at the data and looked at the tape was 
He had a lower than expected completion percentage once he was scrambling out of the pocket and on the move, once he was pressured. Um, did, did you recall seeing that? I mean, you might have to be specifically looking for that, frankly, because I, I obviously was. But it was less than 40% for both of those guys when they were on the move out of the pocket this year, which really surprised me because he is a play extender. Both of those guys are. And I, mm-hmm. I would not have guessed that their numbers would have been that low. But I did see him miss... You know, he wasn't as accurate getting outside of the pocket. I wondered, you know, if that's something you recognized or saw or if you think that's something you have to be specifically looking for to even, you know, find it within the big haystack of a game. Yeah, I think that might be something you have to look for specifically. I didn't see it because, you know, when I saw him outside the pocket, I saw him making really difficult throws across his body. I saw him throwing with touch across, you know, on the run. I saw him throwing to the left pretty well. Uh, so maybe there are some just kind of balls that got away from him on the run, but I didn't notice it as a big problem. So that that it completion percentage outside the pocket is a little surprising to me. Let's just say seven years from now, we look back at this draft, and for whatever reason, Trevor Lawrence does not pan out. He does not live up to being that number one pick. What do you think will be the reason why? You know, what are what are some of the areas that you might have a slight concern? Not a not a huge uh, concern, but a slight concern that you know, could cause things to maybe go sideways a little bit, at least early for him in his NFL career. Yeah, I thought the the biggest problem was, and I don't think it's, it's a huge problem, but I just didn't think he threw with um, a lot of anticipation at times. I thought he waited for guys to get into windows or waited till after the break to make some throws. Uh, and uh, and also, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm nicking him t- too much for this, but I, I thought the Clemson offense was just one of the more simple offenses that I, I've seen quarterbacks run. So maybe there's a question to whether he could handle a, um, a more complex offense. Uh, but, yeah, I would say just anticipation and there's going to be a bigger um, – I think there's going to be a bigger gap between what he's asked to do in college and what he will be asked to do in the pros. Ted, let's let's stay on that for a second because that's something we all have to do as we take what we see now. And if you grade on college tape, then you're going to miss a lot because you have to project you know, who they're going to be against top-level competition and, and what will they be outside of their offense, for example, in an NFL offense. And so – how difficult do you find it when when you're watching? You know, some teams will run a more pro style uh, a, a passing attack. You know, interestingly enough, Trey Lance is a guy that you get to see something that looks similar to what you'll see in an NFL, obviously. And I know he prepares similarly. How tough is it for you from a projection standpoint to try to project things that you you can't see on tape because of the construct of the offense, and then push it forward with a projection of what you think they can or maybe might have a hard time doing? Uh, for me, I, I just look at the percentage of straight dropback concepts that that they're using in college. You know, I, I don't want to. I mean, I think it's much harder to project a guy who's running a ton of RPOs, a ton of bubble screens. You know, and, and even just a, a lot of play action plays where you know guys are getting wide open. Um, when you, I mean, when you look at a guy like Justin Fields and the Ohio State offense, I think the Ohio State offense gets uh, unfair rap. I mean, they run a ton of just five-step, seven-step concepts uh, where you have to go through your progressions, and uh, those are very translatable to to Sundays. Um, but, yeah, I, I think just the, the frequency of just straight drop-back plays is more translatable uh, to, the, to the pro game. Switching gears to Justin Fields, um, 
my biggest issue with him was just he was just a little bit more methodical than you want. And I mean, I, I would gladly take Justin Fields on my team, uh, draft him in the top 10. Like, I think he's an outstanding talent. But that for me, you know, when you have to separate these guys, you know, with just the smallest little thing, you know, you're nitpicking. And that, that's what it comes down to. You have to nitpick these guys. For Justin Fields, that that was my slight issue with him was just how, you know, he was just a little more methodical than what I want to see, you know, compared to, say, a Zach Wilson, uh, who was more spontaneous, uh, but still accurate with his decision. So I, it, do you think that's fair for me to say that? Did you see some of the similar things? Yeah, no, I, I think it's fair. I think the unfair uh, criticism is calling him a one-read quarterback. I don't even know what that means, but... Uh, I think he does go through his progressions, and there's multiple examples of him exhausting multiple progressions on plays. But yeah, I agree that he is a, could be a little methodical, and I think part of that is by design because uh, Quincy Avery, his uh, quarterback coach that he's worked with, said you know, he said that Ryan Day might uh, encourage his quarterbacks to stay in the first read a little longer because of uh, certain play designs. Or they just believe their number one guy is gonna, you know, win, and they should take a little t- little time for things to develop. Uh, so I agree with you. He can go through his process uh, a little quicker, but I think part of that is the offense, and I think that's something he can get better at. And there are so many examples of him going through multiple progressions. And the Ohio State offense has ton of concepts that you're gonna see on Sundays. They run a lot of Hank. They run wide cross, nine eight nine. Um, and, and those are, are a pro concept. So I, I think the unfair criticism is that he can't go through his progressions, but I think it's fair to say that he can speed up his process a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, it's something we saw here in Houston with Deshaun Watson um, his first couple of years. I mean, he was slow getting through the progressions. He was locking in a lot on on De- um, DeAndre Hopkins. And why wouldn't you? I mean, De- DeAndre Hopkins was the ultimate safety blanket. But actually, with DeAndre Hopkins, it kind of forced Watson to be a different quarterback this year, and I and I mean that in a good way. And I think when you think about quarterbacks, like we'll get to Zach Wilson as well, but I saw him doing some of this, and I start thinking, you know, it's probably intentional. I don't know if he's missing a read and where I should kill him for missing a read. I think he recognizes, and maybe a quarterback who has such significant advantages at wide receiver versus cornerback like Justin Fields, I think sometimes it's easy to stay on a read when you know you have a physical advantage and you're just waiting for the ability to throw it. And then in the NFL, when you know the matchups are going to be a little more even, it's it makes more sense just to be fluid left to right down the dial uh, in terms of your progressions. I wonder, Ted, if you, if you see some of that where you think just the college game lends itself to, hey, I got a big-time player here. I'm going to wait this. I'm going to wait this ride out because at some point I know I've got a monster advantage against that corner. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there there are times when they play a ton of quarters in in college, and there, there's times where the safety and corner will end up bracketing a number one. But the number one is so good, he could beat both those guys if you just wait a second or two longer. So I think that's part of it. I also think there's a lot of downfield option routes in the Ohio State offense where you have to wait on the receiver to break and make a decision for you to make a throw as well. Uh, so those do do come into play. Uh, but I agree with you. In, in, in the NFL, when talent's a little more spread out, uh, you do have to go through your reads a little quicker, and that's something that uh, Fields will have to learn as he transitions. So who is your number two quarterback in this class uh, behind Lawrence? I have Justin Fields as my number um, two. I think I see, you know, I think Zach Wilson has similar issues with his uh, his process. It's not. I think they're different issues, uh, but... 
I just think Justin Fields played top competition. He's a high-level athlete that could run the option right away, which will um, kind of negate some of those growing pains. But I mean, I I don't think I'm not down on Zach Wilson, but um, I, I think most people have him quarterback two. Uh, but he he is my uh, quarterback three. Is there a quarterback that you you know when you're watching Wilson, you're watching him make these plays? Is there a quarterback maybe that came to mind that you? Well, this reminds me a little bit of this you know this someone in the NFL that uh, with, for something specific that he was doing. Did it give you any uh, you know flashbacks of someone in the NFL doing similar things? Yeah, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Oh, but here it comes. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm, I'm with you. Say it. He, he reminds me a lot of Sam Darnold. Oh, <laughs> I mean, see, I was going to say Johnny Manziel. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Manziel in his game, too. And I didn't mean that as a slam either. I meant that as college yeah. Manziel. They, there's a similarity yeah. in their game. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought Manziel was just like all – he played off script almost, oh, you yeah. know. All the time, time. and I I think Wilson doesn't play off script as much as he does. Um, But um, but yeah, with Wilson, I have a lot of questions about his pre his pre snap process, uh, how he processes processes through progressions. I don't know exactly what he's taught, but when you look at those concepts and how they're usually taught, um, I I, you know I don't know where he's looking or why he's looking there and why he's looking back here. And he got a lot of got away with that a lot because he had a, a monster offensive line that gave him these huge pockets, uh, you know, where there there weren't guys within seven yards of him sometimes. So he got away with a lot of uh, just think unusual uh, processes uh, when he's reading the field and got away with a lot of things that I don't think he could get away with in NFL. So I think he's a bigger developmental project than people are s- s- talking about. Uh, but the the tools, the traits, the ability to throw off uh, off platform um, and just make those crazy distance distance throws are tantalizing. Well, let's just say for a second that Justin Fields uh, he's not in the conversation or he's not in this draft class. Trevor Lawrence goes one. The Jets are sitting there at two. I'm the GM of the Jets, and you're my head scout. And I'm asking you, should we take him at number two? Uh, do we feel comfortable with Zach Wilson as the number two pick? He'll be the future of our franchise. Do we like him enough to take him that early? I mean, if there was no Justin Fields, then I, yeah, I would take Wilson, but I wouldn't say I'd be totally comfortable taking him uh, number two. They're, they're, I mean, there for me, there there are a lot of question marks uh, with Wilson. I'm, yeah, I'm actually with I'm with Ted, and I don't know if you. I've got a boom bust grade on him of six point five, which I see the high end stuff. I see the great, you know, the Aaron Rodgers throws, but he's also been emulating Aaron Rodgers since he was a kid. So I mean, this is what he does. He can make. He's probably been able to make those throws for for five or six years uh, prior. I, I'm curious. One of the things that I had a problem with Ted was that you'd see reads, and you know, most notably, this is one that just killed me. It was a fourth and two against Coastal Carolina, and it's a little, uh, it's just kind of a, a little um, a fourth down beater play where it, it rolls back the other way with a tight end dragging across, and it's wide open, but you have a little corner out deep on the third level. And second, third level, and he try instead of just in the and the tight ends literally clapping at him to throw him the ball. It's on this fourth and one, fourth and two, and no one's around him, and you can see him look at him, and instead he goes to that deeper throw and ends up throwing it a little short and missing. And it's not the only time that I saw him try to take 
the third level throw when the first or second level throw was the right throw. And I wondered, okay, do I kill him for this? Or is this him simply saying, that's Texas State cornerback on I like I'm not going to not throw the ball to a guy that I have an advantage, even if I'm hanging it up and letting him make a play. And then when you look at his yards per attempt and the amount of deep balls he threw, it felt like he recognized, hey, I got an advantage here. So I'm struggling, Ted, with does he not see it? Is he not going to take that? Or is this just a situation where he said, I got the advantage and I'm going to take advantage of it this year? I think it comes down to situational awareness, too. I I like aggression in quarterbacks. I like when – they see an opportunity, like they see man coverage, cover one, and have a corner route, and they feel like they like that matchup. I like when they w- would take it, even if they have a guy open underneath. But if it's fourth and two, and you know you you have man coverage, and you might, you have a leverage advantage, or you might have kind of a rub going, then take the underneath guy. So I, I like aggression, but it, it has to be tempered with situational awareness. Let's let's talk about Trey Lance here for a minute. Uh, Really unique. Obviously, we talk about his resume, 17 career starts, all at the FCS level. Clearly, he was very good in those uh, 17 starts, 17-0, and 0, and one interception. Uh, it just really, really impressive. But obviously, he's a very young quarterback. You know, he, the colleges recruited him as a safety. Uh, this is a guy that's still learning the position. How, how far away do you think he is to uh, before you would feel comfortable putting him out there as a, as a starter in the NFL? I think ideally he, he goes in a situation where he, he could sit a year. Um, I mean, because when you watch this 2019 tape, you, you know, you get excited and you say this could be a first-round quarterback, but there, there are things he needs to work on. And unfortunately, uh, you know, you want to see him have a, a better 2020 season where he kind of improves on uh, some things, mainly his accuracy. Uh, but unfortunately, he didn't get that. So he is a projection. If you just look at the film, Max Jones has better film than him. But you hear about you know how much he loves football and um, the, the responsibilities he has at the line of scrimmage and how smart he is, and then you kind of take that and you project uh, project and say you know with his work ethic he's going to improve on these things. But just based on a film, you don't know that. That's why I have kind of a um, I would draft him later in the first round. He's going to go top ten. But yeah, I think there there's there are issues. He didn't pass the ball that much in that offense. I think he passed around fifteen to eighteen times a game. And the, the accuracy issue is kind of scary. I mean, um, I think generally he's pretty accurate, but when the ball gets away from him, it re- really gets away from him. So you, you want to see those issues get better. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now he's just a projection and I think he could use the year to sit. This is a tough one, Ted, because this is a, a unique year for us. And, and Dane and I are having to look at guys like Gregory Rousseau and Caleb Farley and, you know, guys who opted out. And of course, um, uh, Trey Lance didn't play, it wasn't by choice, but we've got all these guys with such little uh, Panay Sewell, and all of us looked at Trey Lance and studied him and came up with his strengths and weaknesses based on when he was 19 years old. And I'm always having to remind myself about Panay Sewell, about Bobby Brown from Texas A&M is going to be a 20-year-old rookie. Like Trey Lance is, is, looks like a grown man, and we're in draft season, so we need to you know, we need to try to project him to what he's going to be, but everything we saw on him was he was 19 years old. And so that's why, for me, man, this is just such a hard season across the board. And Lance is another one. Love the traits. I mean, the traits are, mm-hmm. to me, he's he's got – he's second to me in terms of the upside potential based on, you know, Wonderland projection beyond, you know, right after Trevor Lawrence. But – 
if you tell me, okay, now show me why you like him so much, that's hard. That's a lot harder for me to just show you plays why I like him so much. And part of it, as you mentioned, Ted, is the offense. It's not designed for him to stand out and be the the monster to, uh, statistically. It's not what they are. That's a team first university and football program. Yeah, and, and you know, with the traits, the the ball jumps out of his hand. He throws with a ton of velocity, and it just looks so effortless. And um, as far as just being able to go through reads, you can see him going from read to read quickly. So it, it's mental traits, it's physical traits. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it, it's it's a projection. I mean, he's he's a really young kid, and you're you're projecting that he's going to be able to work on these problems and, and get better. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just love the upside with with Lance. I, I want to introduce Kyle Trask into the conversation now because we've worked through. Trying to remember, we've worked through all the the big name quarterbacks, and Trask is a guy that gets. He's an afterthought. I mean, most people don't even talk about him, and I understand it's kind of a big five concept for a lot of people. But Kyle Trask, I do want to point out that if you if you block it up for Kyle Trask, look, he missed a lot of reads, and but if you block it up for Kyle Trask and you try to man up against him, he can wear you out. Now, he had some targets, but Kyle Trask, I thought, threw a beautiful deep ball, had nice soft touch on the ball, and I thought that when he was just protected in the pocket and he could just work as a guy who was comfortable, I, I liked what he did. Now, will he be able to do that in the pros? You know, I don't know that everything's going to be so optimal, but I don't know about you guys, but I, I kind of liked the way that Trask threw when, when the pocket was clean and he was staying in rhythm. I didn't think he was a bad passer of the football at all. I, I liked Trask a lot more than I thought I was going to before uh, watching before watching him. I thought he was, was a really aggressive thrower, uh, throw with really good anticipation, maybe the best anticipation thrower in the draft. He does have an average arm. Uh, he throws a pretty good placement inside. I thought uh, outside the numbers, his placement wasn't great. Um, and I thought he, he actually moved pretty well in, in the pocket um, as well. Uh, I thought it was funny that uh, Florida used so many quarterback options with them. Not that he's a bad athlete. He just doesn't look that fast linear, linearly, but he's, he's a pretty big kid so maybe you can use him in some options in the red zone in an NFL but yeah he's just, he's he's a decent athlete but um I don't think his linear speed is going to project him to be um that much of an option quarterback in the next level he, he was so comfortable in that offense uh, that and that really helped him ascend and I so I, I mean I do have questions about outside of that offense how he'll do but I, I mean I agree with what you guys are saying as a pure passer, uh, you know, he does a really nice job. He benefited from a lot of weapons, obviously, uh, in that Florida offense. But the placement of these throws, I mean, he's he's giving his guys a chance. He's putting it in, uh, you know, optimal spots. Um, I want to go back real quick to Mac Jones. Um, Ted, what were your thoughts when you we first started hearing the the 49ers trading up to number three for Mac Jones? Obviously, we don't know if that's the case. Uh, time is going to tell. But if that ends up happening, you know, what was your reaction to that if with the, the 49ers targeting maybe Mac Jones over a Fields or a Lance? Uh, I mean, I think Mac Jones fits the prototype for what everybody thinks is a, is a Shanahan prototype. But I just think if you listen to Shanahan talk about quarterbacks, especially in the last two seasons and even in, in his press conference, it seems that uh, he, he has shifted – to his um, how he looks at quarterbacks, and he wants that bigger, stronger guy that can create uh, second reaction plays, which is why I'm surprised that you know so many reporters and, and news outlets are, are so sure that um, Jones is going to be the guy. I mean, 
Uh, you know, I think we 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 know what Mac Jones is. He's a quick processor. I think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. Not that he's going to be creating plays for himself or anything, but he can get away from some pressure, and he does a good job of of throwing with guys in his face. He's very accurate. Uh, his art. The thing is, I mean, if you, he's not a great second reaction quarterback, he's a pocket passer. He's accurate, but his arm talent is average. I think you know his arm strength might be a little uh, below average. You see a lot of underthrows on film, so that that's why I can't give him a higher than a, a late first round grade. Just because if you're a pocket passer, I want you to have pretty good arm talent, and I, I don't think he has that. Define second reaction. Um, define what that means to you. So second reaction to me is you, if you're getting pressure and you have to go off of your progression and uh, make a play with your legs or you, you have to go off script and uh, move away from the, the top progression and just kind of make a play uh, by looking a guy off or, or getting outside the pocket and drawing up a flat defender and throwing over his head. And, that, and it's tough because it's, I don't think we know that he can't do that. It's just he didn't have to do that within the context yeah. of that offense. When you're talking about the talent around him, the offensive line, the play calling with Sark, I mean, it was the elite of the elite uh, at the college level uh, in terms of a supporting cast. And that really makes it tough uh, when you're trying to figure out what he can and can't do. And when you remove him from that situation, is he uh, reliant on that or does he? is there more there? Uh, and that really does make it tough. All right, before we let you go, I want to touch on uh, some of the, the pass catchers real quick. First off, Kyle Pitts, uh, I, I mean, is he uh, one of the better, best prospects in this draft in your eyes? I mean, is there is there anything about his transition to the next level that would worry you? I, I think he's one of the best prospects in this draft. Um, and, I mean, he doesn't have any major weaknesses in his game. He just reminds me so much of Darren Waller. And, you know, I watch a lot of Raider uh, football. I cover uh, one of the main teams I cover. And he, you know... A lot of people make that comparison, but I think it's such an apt comparison. He, he's so good at speed control. He, I mean, he's unstoppable on slants. Uh, I don't think any linebacker is going to be able to run with him. And he can make crazy contested catches, too. And uh, I think if there is a concern, I would say, you know, if he was to get drafted by an outside zone running team, which is so prominent in NFL now, I don't know if he can be relied on as a point of attack blocker because the tight end is such an important part of the blocking scheme uh, there. But I mean, as far as blocking, he gives a lot of effort. He just doesn't have the size to really sustain blocks. But I, I don't think, you know, you would use him mainly as an inline tight end if you if you do draft him anyway. So yeah, in short, he, he is one of the uh, best prospects in this draft. Now, I mean, when you consider position value, uh, obviously we have not seen a tight end drafted top 10 that's really lived up to it um but i would you know the argument there is okay with kyle pitts we haven't really seen a tight end prospect that looks like kyle pitts before and it's like you know you don't pass on pat mahomes just because texas tech quarterbacks haven't worked out uh you know just because because we've never seen a talent like pat mahomes well it's similar with kyle pitts you don't pass on a tight end in the top 10 just because past tight ends that early haven't panned out because we haven't seen a talent like Kyle Pitts. So if you're, you know, the the Falcons at four, the Bengals at five, do you think that Kyle Pitts, you can absolutely justify making that pick? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for the Bengals, I would like them to draft the offensive lineman. I just think that, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, your number one pick is coming back from an injury. And even if, you know, you feel like 
you have your tackle set, which I don't. I think they can still upgrade the talent um, there. I think you you need some uh, need some depth in case things don't work out, or you might be able to kind of shuffle that offensive line around. Uh, but I mean, if they pick Pitts, I'm not going to um, bat an eye. I think um, getting a weapon that could to get get open that quickly will be beneficial for Burrow as well. Yeah, he's just I don't, he's a he's a cheat code, I and mean, there's just nothing else to say about him. Um, all right, last question for you. Uh, the two Alabama receivers. Uh, did you come away looking at Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith liking one over the other? Do you think there's a gap there? Which one of the two was your favorite and why? Uh, I, I find myself going back and forth with um, both receivers a lot. I, originally, I liked Waddle better uh, because, I mean, I just don't, you don't see guys that can separate like Waddle uh, on film often, and he can make contested catches. I think he plays uh, pretty strong for a, a guy. Uh, with his his size, which is, I, you know, when you're when you're talking about speed guys with uh, Waddle size, the main concern is play strength, and I think Waddle does run through reroutes. He does run through contact. I mean, he's not going to truck anybody, but I think that's the, the biggest thing you, you want to look for uh, with these smaller guys, and he does that. He runs a lot of downfield routes. He's not just a um, a bubble screen receiver, but when you look at Devontae Smith, he just does everything well. His size is not a big concern to me because he plays strong on film. I think right now I'm leaning towards Smith, even though I I, I had Waddle over him earlier. But they're they're so close. I don't think you go. Um, I think scheme fit does matter for Waddle a little bit more than Smith, though. Who do you like better, Rugs or Waddle coming out? I mean, if you hmm. if you can rewind your thoughts on Rugs and remember, because I know you saw him quite a bit this year. Um, who do you think is the better pro prospect when they were coming out, Rugs or Waddle? Oh, Waddle easily. Okay. I, I think I, uh, even though Waddle didn't have a ton of film, I I, I kind of knew about Waddle uh, as as a freshman, and I I'm not I wasn't super high high in rugs. I just I thought there were concerns with his play strength, and he got uh, against physical corners. He he struggled a bit, and it ended up being um, one of the main reasons why he didn't produce more as as a rookie. So uh, I, I think Waddle's a much better prospect than Rugs. Yeah, and I, I, it's fascinating. There's definitely a split. You know, Lance, I know you prefer Devontae Smith. I prefer Jalen Waddle, but I mean, but not they're, by they're a both, lot. I mean, yeah, they're exactly. right there neck and neck. Yeah. They're, they're both really, and that's how it is across the league. I, you talk to some people and it's Smith, others it's Waddle, but, you know, it's they're both universally uh, well liked. Uh, all right, Ted, this was, this was awesome. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, your perspective. Make sure everybody you're following uh, him on Twitter. Again, that's at FB uh, underscore film analysis. Uh, check out all his work on The Athletic. It's awesome. It's really helpful stuff to add just another layer of context to these guys. Uh, so, Ted, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me on. And I appreciate all the work you guys do. Before we go on, excited to share with you a new podcast from The Athletic. It is called Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. Shattered is a documentary-style podcast series on the past 20 years of the Knicks. Hosted by hip-hop legend Chuck D. from Public Enemy, this series tells all the wild, crazy stories from the past two decades of the Knicks under team owner James Dolan. Shattered reveals never-heard-before stories about Dolan, the Knicks, and the NBA. Some of the people interviewed include former Knicks Patrick Ewing, Penny Hardaway, Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, former Knicks coaches and executives like Donnie Walsh, Jeff Van Gundy, Dave Fisdale, Jeff Hornacek, and then non-basketball voices like Eddie Falco, Andrew Yang, Wyatt Cenac, Adam Polly, Andrew Schultz. Listeners will learn about what caused the end of the 90s Knicks, what is it like to be banned from the Garden, 
the Knicks' failed pursuit of LeBron James in the summer of the decision, why Carmelo Anthony and Jeremy Lin couldn't coexist, the unusual way David Fisdale and Kristaps Porzingis began their relationship, and what Garden insiders say it is like to work for James Dolan. New episodes of Shattered are released every Tuesday. Search for Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that'll do it for this week's Prospects to Pros. You can find Lance on Twitter at Lance Zerline. I'm at DP Brugler. As always, please subscribe, rate, or comment. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week.